Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. We're continuing our messy Christmas series, and uh, we're jumping into week three. Hopefully the past two have been helpful for you uh, and engaging along the way. I told somebody after the service last week, they were talking about it, and I was like, you know what? It's been good for me, because I feel like I'm just kind of a mess this season. So if nothing else, I've enjoyed it, and you get to be spectators and watch me like self-soothe or something up here. But hopefully it's good for you, too, and hopefully it's meeting you where you're at this season, because I think for many of us, Christmas is amazing, we look forward to it, we celebrate it, but life sometimes doesn't rise to the occasion, does it? Like sometimes life is still life and it's difficult. And, and so that's what we want to talk about along the way throughout this series, how the mess of life can actually show up in the midst of the Christmas story, in the midst of the Christmas season. And something we've said every single week is that not only is it Christmas season right now, but uh, in the church calendar, in church world, it's actually a different season as well. And you may not even know that there's such a thing as a church calendar because it doesn't sound like the most exciting thing in the world. Uh, but the church calendar is basically this uh, order of worship that Christian churches all throughout the world use to remind themselves of significant moments in Jesus's story and, and how that story impacts our story. And so the season that we're in right now on the Christian calendar is the season of Advent. And Advent is this four-week period leading up to Christmas Day that's meant to mark all of the waiting and the anticipating for Jesus to arrive. It reminds us of the very first Christmas when people waited for literally hundreds of years for God to show up. And in that waiting, they were wondering if God was going to keep his promises and if God was really going to be faithful to them, if he would really rescue them from the situation they were in. And for us today, it's meant to prepare us for Jesus' arrival in a new way this year. For us to, again, hope and long and anticipate how Jesus might show up in a new way this season. And uh, last year, I came across a book that has really guided our conversation. It's this book, Honest Advent. Uh, It's written by uh, an artist, an illustrator, and painter that I really like named Scott Erickson. And uh, essentially what he tried to do is he tried to look at the honest details of the story of Christmas, the honest details of life and the honest details of Christmas. And he tried to like take a look at what it means for us to find God in the midst of our here and now. And I was so excited about this book. I knew like a year ago that I wanted to do this series and have this be the focus of our Christmas experience this year because I think it's so important for us to understand that God can show up in our midst right here and right now just like he did at that first Christmas. Uh, In fact, I was at a gathering of pastors this week. It was like a network that we're a part of and they were having a Christmas party and we were hanging out and they asked me, hey, what are you guys doing for Christmas? And I was like, I don't know. It's not Christmas yet, right? Like I've got two weeks to figure that out. But uh, I was telling them about this series and I mentioned this book and all of them were like, oh yeah, that's a great book. Like lots of really good content there. And they just like moved on. And I was like, no, you've read about it? Like I thought that it was going to be this earth shattering, like amazing. Yeah, I found this incredible resource and they just like glossed over it. And I was like, why is nobody as excited about this as I am? So Again, if this one's just for me, track with me over the next few weeks, but I really do think that this is helpful and important stuff because uh, what Scott does throughout his book and what we're trying to do throughout this series is really meditate on the real-life reality of that first Christmas and how God showed up in unexpected, unanticipated, unlikely ways, and that maybe if this season for you feels a little more messy than Mary, that may be where God wants to show up for you as well. It's this story about pregnancy and family and traveling and 
like the political situation is somewhere in there along the way, and just all these real-life details that we often gloss over. And so to catch you up on the past few weeks of where we've been, on week one we talked about the idea of vulnerability. And what we said is that all real connection requires vulnerability. All real like relationships in any context, in any setting, if you want to go deeper than the surface level, eventually somebody or both parties ideally are going to get vulnerable along the way. That's true at work. That's true in your most significant relationships, your marriage, with your kids. And it's certainly true as it relates to our faith as well because eventually the false version of us fails us. And so the real version of us has to show up along the way. And for us to grow deeper beyond the surface, it requires this vulnerability. And the incredible thing about the Christmas story is we said that the word of God, the word of God is this phrase that John, who was one of Jesus' followers, introduced. It's kind of a poetic idea uh, that indicates that God is like the order of everything, the one who's sustaining all of life. That God was incarnated, or he showed up in a human body through the process of human vulnerability. We talked about the radical idea that the God of everything actually chose to go through the whole process of birth, right? All nine months and, and everything that goes with that, and then being a little baby and being dependent on the humans that he came to save and how incredibly vulnerable that was for him. And we said in light of that, the question for us this season isn't, does God want to connect with us? Because him showing up in that way shows he obviously does. The question is, are we willing to connect with him? in the same way. Because just as the word of God was incarnated through human vulnerability, on week one we said that we can connect with Jesus through the very same human vulnerability. We said often that looks like having the humility to admit what we don't know. It means having the humility to acknowledge that we have needs. And maybe actually admitting that we don't have it all together and maybe admitting that this season we are a little more mess than we like to admit. And so last week we continued the conversation by making a connection between vulnerability and love. And what we said is oftentimes in these messy moments in our stories, we carry this unease with us, an uncertainty about what we're supposed to do and maybe where God is at in the midst of whatever your present circumstances may be. But we said on the other side of that unease, we can actually encounter love. And many times what we try and do is we try and earn love because we think if we're just good enough, if we just get our act together, if we do enough of the right stuff and we don't do the wrong stuff, then God will love us. But what we said last week is that really it gets us in this cycle of shame where we try and we try and we try, but ultimately all of us at some point fail even our own standards. So then we beg for forgiveness and then we start over and we try and we try and we try and eventually we carry the shame with us that keeps us stuck. But what we said last week is that love isn't earned. Love is actually received. That love is this gift that God gives to us. As he approaches us in vulnerability and invites us to connect with him, we talked about how Jesus was described as full of grace and full of truth. And that's the kind of love that's available for us. And, and so we said that God's love shows up in unexpected places and in an unexpected way. And we asked this question as we wrapped up last week, what unexpected place might God want to meet you this season? Where might God want to show up that maybe you're not even looking for? And that question really is where we're going to pick things up and where we're going to hang out with the rest of our time today. Because I think some of the power of the Christmas story is how unexpected it was. Nobody expected that God would have shown up in the way that he did. And in fact, uh, do you know like how many of the details of the Christmas story as we know it are actually just kind of assumed? They're not like written in the text. They're not actually spelled out. I'll give you some examples. Um, probably if you've heard the story of Christmas or you've seen the images, it's just that famous image 
of Mary riding in on the donkey, right, and Joseph, like, leading the way, and they're getting to the town where Jesus is going to be born. Well, that's actually not in the text at all in the Bible. Nowhere does it say that Mary actually rode on a donkey. I was trying to research this a little bit to see, like, where did we get that idea? And the first article that popped up I loved, it, like, the little preview that shows up on Google, it just said, uh, it's likely that she didn't walk the entire way. <laughs> so, like, maybe she rode on a donkey at some point, but there's nowhere that the text actually tells us that. Uh, we all have this image of the innkeeper, the, the kind, like, hotel manager who, when they got to the town, he was there, and he was willing to at least put them up in the stable rent-free. But there's actually no mention of an innkeeper in the text at all. Uh, we have this idea that the three wise men or the three magi showed up to worship Jesus, but the text doesn't actually tell us that there were three of them. It gave us a great song, I guess. But outside of that, like, it's not actually really spelled out. There's very few details. We've all heard that they followed the Christmas star, right? That big thing that hangs on the pole on all of our front lawn nativities. But there's actually not a lot of detail about the Christmas star. We, we know that they followed a star to the east, but that's about it, that we know about the Christmas star. Uh, all of us have this image that Jesus was born in a stable, but all that the text really tells us is that he was laid in a manger. And in the first century, mangers were found in all kinds of different places throughout homes and throughout communities. So we don't exactly know that, but Christmas comes with a lot of assumptions, doesn't it? And some of them are helpful, and some of them maybe are not so helpful along the way. We've picked up these details of the story, but essentially, I don't know how much you've thought about how much we assume in life, but assumptions are basically limited conclusions that we make. Assumptions are these limited conclusions where we have enough information to be dangerous, but maybe we don't know the whole story. And so what we do is we draw this conclusion based on what we do know. Our brains are like hardwired to try and make a story and try and make sense of things. And so when we have limited information, often we make an assumption to try and close the gap in our knowledge. And you've probably heard what I've heard before that you shouldn't assume because it makes a donkey out of you and me. <laughs> And if you can spell, you're with me right now. But um, the truth is, like, the incarnation story, as it is revealed in Scripture, it's surprisingly small. The story of Jesus arriving in this world, God putting on a human body, it is surprisingly small. If you took all of the sections and, like, smashed it together, it's about three chapters of the Bible, this small little snapshot. And with that little information, we've tried to flesh out the story and we've tried to have this understanding of what God was doing. And basically over time and through tradition and a lot of low budget Christmas pageants, like we've made a lot of assumptions about how the story goes. And I think faith is often a lot like that too. That often our spirituality comes with a lot of assumptions. It's this area of life where we feel like we have maybe limited knowledge, maybe limited experience even of what God is like. And so in light of that, we make some conclusions or some limited assumptions about what God is really like and what faith is really supposed to look like. And I think for where we're going today and for what this season brings to us, one of the places we tend to make the most assumptions as it relates to our faith is who it's all really for. Like, like so often we're tempted to make assumptions about faith and you've done this like I have before. If you've ever had a thought, something like this, like that you should be more than you really are right now. That's an assumption that many of us jump to as it relates to our faith. Uh, maybe you've made the assumption before that your weaknesses are in the way of God's plan for your life. We assume often that our lack of, of fervor or energy or excitement about God disqualifies us from being used by God in a significant way. How about this one? You're probably not doing it right. right? All of us can fall into assuming that as it relates to our faith or that other spiritual people have something 
that you don't have, that you're like somehow kind of on the sidelines and leaning in and trying to figure it out, but it seems like they've all got it together and you don't. I mean, the church can be so dangerous in this way because oftentimes we do what we're doing right here, right? And a professional Christian with a microphone and fancy light stands up and we're like, that's what I should be like. And I'm here to tell you, not in this case, okay? (laughs) Uh, But like we can fall into these assumptions And they can hijack our faith in a lot of really dangerous ways. When we assume that we're not included in the story or we assume that we're disqualified, it it can really keep us from feeling like we're all a part of the same story. And and that's really dangerous for us. It's really dangerous as it relates to what God wants for you, especially if you're in a messy Christmas season. If life doesn't look the way that you expected it to look. If life didn't live up to your assumptions, maybe as it relates to your job. Things are just unsettled or they're uncertain and that's like dominating your thoughts and dominating your time. Maybe there's something going on with your health and you don't know where the diagnosis is going to lead or you're doing the treatment but it doesn't seem like it's working and that's just weighing on you this season. There's a relationship that doesn't look like you planned for it to look a year ago, right? And it's just weighing on you. And what we often do in light of life circumstances is we make disqualifying assumptions about ourselves. We think my life is too much of a mess for God to show up in the midst of. My life is too much of a mess. I don't know enough about faith. And what I hope you can do as we're continuing on in this series today, as we're going through this Advent season together, is I hope that you can discover that those assumptions are as wrong as the assumptions we make sometimes about the Christmas story. That God actually wants to meet you right in the midst of your mess. That God wants to show up in an unexpected way, just like he did at that first Christmas. And he wants to meet you this season in the midst of whatever mess you may find yourself in. And so the good news today, where we're going to spend a lot of our time today, is there's actually an antidote to assumption. Like if you're a person like me who makes assumptions about yourself or maybe especially makes assumptions about others, there's a way that we can like counteract assumption in our life. And the antidote to assumption is actually surprise. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but surprise is another thing that we encounter in life where we have like limited knowledge, limited understanding. Something happens and we're like, whoa, I didn't expect that. But rather than trying to create a story from it, we simply embrace it and we experience the wonder of it. Surprise can be the antidote to assumption in our lives. And surprise is amazing. And this is a part of our program where you need to brace yourself for a Disney rant for just a second. Uh, Because a couple of months ago, uh, I was able to go on vacation with my family and we went down to Disney World. And we had this incredible experience and I was thinking about it. And so much of the Disney magic is based on the power of surprise. It's based on the power of like not fully understanding how something works, but it's in this way that like produces wonder and excitement in you. I'll give you some examples. Uh, I was spoiled and I got to go on a couple of rides that I've really been wanting to go on uh, in the Animal Kingdom. There is a ride called Flights of Passage, and it's uh, based on the movie Avatar, which shameless we meet in a movie theater and really like partnering with Unplug. Uh, There's a new Avatar movie coming out this next week, and you should all come and see it because we want to support our local theater, right? So I'll be thrilled. I, I can hear like how it went, so... Let me know. Reserve your spot for Christmas at Story. Come see the new Avatar movie. That's all I'm asking. But uh, in the movie Avatar, there are these creatures called banshees, and the characters, like, fly on them, and it's really this amazing experience. And so what the ride is intended to do is to simulate that. And so you ride on these, like, kind of weird motorcycle-looking seats, and you, like, lean forward, and they've, like, thought of everything to where, like, around your legs, the thing feels like it's actually breathing. And, like, when you go over a waterfall and you're, like, little goggles that you're wearing, like you feel the water splash in your face. And I went into this thing totally blind, not really knowing what to expect. And it was incredible. 
Like, I, it, the girl next to me, I didn't know who she was. She just was, like, sitting there. She also had no idea what she was doing because, like, it does this drop at the beginning. And I heard her go, oh, like, as we went. And, and that was the power of surprise, right? It was the power of wonder. It's what the thing was designed to be. Uh, I had another experience like that riding the new Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster. It's called Cosmic Rewind. I am not a roller coaster person at all. And so, luckily, I had barely any idea what this ride even was. With the lights on, it looks something like that. Uh, but when you actually go through the ride, it's all dark, and basically all that you experience, there's like these big screens everywhere where there's all this like multimedia stuff happening, and there's lights happening, but not like lights where you can see where you're going, just kind of like crazy strobe lights that kind of disorient you. Uh, your car on that roller coaster actually spins as you go. Right, I would not be for this in the daylight, but because I couldn't see what was coming, I just laughed the whole time. It was like so absurd. I wish, I think they had a photo. I didn't buy it. I wish I would have because I was just like giddy. Like I have not been giddy since probably a little kid riding this ride. And that's the power of surprise. But there was one surprise that topped all the other surprises. And that was when uh, our first day we were at the Animal Kingdom and my daughter Eden got to meet Minnie and Mickey for the first time. And so we like really played it up uh, in the sense that she had no idea what we were doing. We waited in this line for like 45 minutes. And uh, as we were going through, there were like pictures of Minnie around. And we'd be like, Eden, who's that? And she's like, that's Minnie. I'm like, that's weird. What do you think that's about? And so we didn't tell her until we were like right there to go meet Minnie and Mickey. And the look on her face was priceless. She like went full speechless, like, I'm in awe to be in the presence of royalty right now kind of mode. And she went around, and eventually she like got that ear-to-ear -ear smile going. And it was just this amazing moment. I texted some friends, and I was like, this stuff is magic, right? In that moment, it was incredible. Uh, but there was actually a surprise moment for me, too, uh, along the way in this. And uh, there's a couple of photos of me in this experience uh, that we've got next. The first one I just think is funny. I look like I'm doing some kind of like hard business deal with Mickey there. I think I was just in like dad Disney mode where I'm like, we're going to get the kid to see the mouse. But anyway, that was awesome. But if you see in this photo, like Eden is doing her thing with Mickey. But do you see what I'm doing in the background? <laughs> yeah, me and my awkward dad bod are like full embrace with Minnie Mouse. And I don't even know how it happened. Like I didn't ask for a hug or anything like that. I think it was her idea. But to be really honest with you, maybe even to be a little vulnerable with you in that moment, I, it was like kind of emotional for me in that moment. I was like, like, Minnie, hold me. <laughs> because it was like this like, oh my gosh, this is Minnie Mouse moment, right? Like, like it was just like this suspension of all the stress of life and all the chaos of life. And it was in the midst of this surprise. If you've been there and you've done it, you know, stop judging me, okay? But it was like this incredible surprise for me. And here's what I want you to see today. It's that that same kind of surprise, that same kind of unexpected nature shows up all throughout Jesus' story. It shows out all throughout the Christmas story, and I think that may be what God wants to do in the midst of your story this season as well. The, the incredible, powerful thing, the surprise of Jesus' incarnation, the thing we celebrate this season, is that it can happen in our day, just like it did in that first Christmas. Jesus wants to show up in the midst of the most unexpected and unlikely places, like maybe this season, Jesus actually wants to show up in your lack of resources, that thing you think disqualifies you. Maybe Jesus wants to show up in the midst of your complicated family dynamic. Maybe Jesus actually wants to show up in the midst of your uncertainty and in the midst of your questions. Maybe he wants to show up in the midst of your humble surroundings because he showed up in the midst of all of that in that very first 
Christmas. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time really quickly, uh, I just want to share with you several kind of unexpected snapshots that happened along this incarnation story that might reveal to us how God wants to show up in an unexpected way in the midst of our messy Christmas and messy season as well. And these moments on the surface, they may seem really small and really insignificant, but I think that's the way that God often likes to show up, that God often shows up in the things that we take for granted that God often shows up in the things that we're tempted to overlook along the way. And so the first uh, moment that I want to look at actually happens with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and and she has this unexpected, I mean, to say the least, unexpected encounter along the way, right? The whole thing starts with an angel showing up and saying, hey, Mary, you're going to carry, like, the Savior of the world. Little bit of a surprise, right? And so she has this moment, the angel declares Jesus' birth, and uh, I think something that we miss along the way is how this wasn't just about Mary and the angel in that moment. But it actually was this whole family affair that happened along the way because the angel makes the announcement and then Mary asks the question that probably you would ask, how is this possible? (laughs) Right? Like, How is this actually going to be? And here's what the angel says. The angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then here's where the family is included. The angel says, even Elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is actually already in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So there's this miraculous announcement. Many of us know about that part of the story, right? The angel shows up and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. You're going to name him Jesus. It's going to be incredible. Uh, But the angel also tells Mary that her cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant, that this relative of hers is also pregnant. And it was this unexpected thing because Elizabeth at this point was like well past menopause and like it wasn't like logistically possible, but they get this announcement. And so what does Mary immediately do in light of that? The text tells us she packs up her things and she goes to see Elizabeth and Zechariah herself. The text goes on, it says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill her promises to her. So Mary shows up at Elizabeth's house and they have this incredible encounter together. But have you ever stopped, like if you even know the details of the story, have you ever stopped to wonder like, why did Mary go there? Why is one of the first things she does on the other side of this unexpected, miraculous announcement be to go and see Elizabeth. The text doesn't actually spell out and tell us, so maybe I'll make some assumptions with my limited knowledge, but I think maybe one reason that Mary went to see Elizabeth and Zechariah was to corroborate the story, right? Like, there's this amazing announcement, like, Mary, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be the savior of the world, and she's like, okay, I don't feel any different right now, but alongside that announcement, there was, and Elizabeth is already six months along the way with a baby as well, and so she knows, like, hey, Elizabeth is a part of this story somehow. And if I go and see Elizabeth, she can tell me if this miracle has happened to her in the same way that it's been promised to me. And so she went there. And I think one reason she wanted to talk to Elizabeth is she wanted to talk to somebody else who was navigating a miracle. 
I mean, think about it. Like, Mary had this angel show up to her unexpectedly. It's not like she could, like, look around to all of her friends and be like, hey, do you guys have an angel show up this week? No? Okay, yeah, me neither. I was just checking. Like, <laughs> that's a weird thing to happen, right? But she knew in the midst of the announcement that there was somebody in her world who had gone through what she was going through, somebody who had actually talked to an angel. And not only that, but somebody who was carrying a miraculous baby. And so I think she took the journey to talk to Elizabeth to try and find somebody who understood what she was facing and what she was going through. And the reality is, there is a maybe unexpected loneliness in going through exceptional experiences. There, there is this loneliness in going through exceptional experiences. And that can be true whether they're really positive ones or really difficult ones. But when we go through things in life that, that break the script, when we go through things in life that we don't expect, there's this loneliness that can show up along the way with it. Because maybe you've gone through something and you've changed, but your friends haven't. Your family hasn't, right? Like you've been there, you've done that, you know the story, but they're still them and they're still along the way just like they always have been. I uh, was thinking about this for my life and I remember feeling this way when we were in round three of launching this church, when we were launching Story uh, about a year and a half ago. I felt this way because I would hang out and kind of reconnect with some of my friends, even friends who are pastors and who are in ministry, and they would ask me questions and be polite, like, hey, so how's that going? And then I would try and like unload to them all of the chaos and stress and uncertainty and like, we're doing this for the third time and I don't know if anybody's gonna follow me again. I wasn't sure they were gonna do it the first time. I feel like three is pushing my limit. Like I, I would talk about that and, and start to like lay out the details of like, so here's our plan and here's like what I'm carrying and what I think. And they would almost always be polite as I'm going through it, but they'd be like, oh, okay, cool. So what do you wanna do like tomorrow, right? Like, like for them, it was a little detail, it was a check-in, like, hey, how's it going? For me, it was like, this is my world right now. Right? I'm going through it. I'm carrying it. And there was this kind of loneliness that showed up throughout that season where it was like, does anybody else get what it's like for me to be leading and living in the moment and the circumstance that I was living in? And I would be willing to bet that you've felt something like this before too. Right? You've gone through something and you've wondered, does anybody else get what it's like to be here? I think this is one reason why vets like to hang out together and talk about where they've been like military veterans for the record, uh, maybe animal doctors, I don't know, but uh, I'm sure they talk about things too. But like, here's why I wanted to highlight this unexpected moment in the story. Because I think for you this season, maybe God wants to show up in the same kind of way. Not necessarily through a story that's all buttoned up and wrapped up and, and perfect and holly jolly, but what if God this season wanted to show up for you through the solidarity of someone who's been where you're going through right now? Somebody who's been through what you're going through right now. What if the unexpected way that God wants to show up this messy Christmas is in you seeking out someone who's maybe been there before? Someone who can come alongside you and who can say like, hey, I've been there and I'm not glossing over the details. I know what it's like to experience and to carry what you're carrying and you can tell me all about it and I'll walk with you through it. Here's the thing. This is like an all skate for all of us. Because if you're going through something difficult this season, if Christmas is messy for you, you can seek out somebody. And if you're here and you're not going through a messy Christmas, but you've been through some stuff before, you can seek out somebody that you could help through their situation and their circumstance. Like what if that was the way that God wants to show up in and through you this season? If you actually choose to share in solidarity of going through an exceptional experience, 
if you wanted to share in that moment where like maybe you don't have the answers, you can't fix it, but you can go through it with them. You can go through it alongside them. Maybe that is an unexpected gift that you can give someone in the same way that Mary and Elizabeth walked through their miraculous moment together. Sometimes God's presence showing up in our life is as simple as somebody coming alongside us and saying, I'm with you, right? I'm with you. I don't have the answers. I don't know how it works, but I'm with you and we're gonna go through it together. Maybe that's the invitation for you this season. But to show you another unexpected aspect of the story, I'm gonna kind of do what the Bible does and we're gonna fast forward way ahead, okay? So there's like the announcement of Jesus's birth and we're gonna jump to like the moment of Jesus's birth. So there's a whole lot of story in between, right? About nine months of stuff that happens. But uh, it says in the text that uh, basically what happened around Jesus' birth is uh, the Romans were doing a census. And so everybody needed to go back to their birthplace to be counted within the head count. And uh, so they did that. Mary and Joseph take their long journey to Bethlehem where Jesus is going to be born. And the text says that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is where that assumption shows up, right? Like, like we've heard this story and often the popular image that we have, uh, it may actually be one of the most misunderstood aspects of the Christmas story. Because when we think like Mary and Joseph were looking for an inn, we think like Holiday Inn like La Quinta Inn, like, like they're, they're going and like the hotel manager's like, sorry, like even the sketchy no vacancy motel on the edge of town was like blinking, like, sorry, like we're, we're all booked up. That's what we think about. And then we think that the kind and benevolent innkeeper or hotel manager was nice enough to let them be in the stable rent free. That's typically how the story is presented to us. Uh, but there's some details about that that the text not only doesn't really say, but it actually implies something different if you do the work of like, trying to figure out what this all was like in the first century. Uh, one thing that we assume is that Mary and Joseph were in a hurry, right? Like the image is often like, baby's coming and we gotta get to town. And so like Joseph's like dragging Mary on the donkey and they're knocking on every door. It's like, we gotta go, right? It's go time. But the text actually implies something different. Uh, where that verse says the time came for the baby to be born, the uh, Greek language that that's written in actually translates literally to the days were complete. And so it almost presents this idea that Mary was like full term, that, that it was time. But if you've ever uh, delivered a baby and you went full term, like you know what those days are like. It's not like we got to go right now until you got to go right now. <laughs> but there's also a lot of waiting and a lot of anticipating and a lot of wondering and waking up and being like, is today going to be the day? <laughs> And it's not, and is tomorrow going to be the day? And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, and so the implication here is that they were actually there in the town waiting for quite a while. But not only that, we often assume that Mary and Joseph took this journey alone, but that is extremely unlikely in light of how life worked in the first century. Uh, in ancient society, people traveled in groups. I mean, it was just the only safe way to travel, especially during a pregnancy. And so what is most likely here, in light of what we know, that the Romans had ordered this census, so people were traveling like crazy around this time of year. In the first century, people rarely traveled alone. What's most likely is that they had family with them, that they were traveling in this group. And in fact, the Greek word, kataluma, uh, that we read as in, more literally translates to guest room rather than hotel room. 
And what is most likely is that Mary and Joseph in this moment were staying with Joseph's family who had also come into town for the census. That they were gathered together and there was this guest room that Mary and Joseph eventually were allowed to be in. But Mary delivered Jesus at this unexpected family reunion rather than just in this stable scene. And that actually kind of reveals and complicates the story a little more, doesn't it? Because the text says that there was no room for them in the inn. And and what that means is that most likely, Joseph's family wasn't all that excited to have Mary and Joseph there with them in light of the circumstances. Like there wasn't an uncle who could give up his bed for the pregnant lady about to deliver the baby. No, No cousin, like nobody was willing to make space. What essentially happened is they were put on the first floor of the home where the animals lived. It was this revealing situation that showed that there's family tension there, that that there's tension around this birth. And and something that you need to know this Christmas, if you have some of that going on in your world, it's that the way that Jesus arrived in the world, it didn't please everyone. In fact, it didn't please very many people when it was happening. There was all this complication. There was the family drama that we're talking about right here. Uh, Herod, the king of the region, the Jewish vassal king of the region, uh, he was so threatened by this notion that this baby could be a king that he performed this terrible atrocity. Again, we kind of overlook that in the pageant, which is good because it would be bad. But like, it's crazy when you think of how unwelcomed the savior of the world was. And yet, in the midst of that, God made room for him. God made room for Jesus to show up even in the midst of the most complicated and most difficult situations. And what happened was when Jesus arrived, the job of everybody wasn't to make room for him, it was simply to receive him as he showed up in the midst of an unexpected, complicated situation. And what I want you to know today is that if your Christmas is messy and it's complicated and there's family tension or work tension or health tension or just unknowns lingering, God still wants to make room to show up in your life this season as well. It's what he has always done. He shows up in the midst of the unexpected. There's one more group of people I want to share with that had this unexpected interaction with Jesus. And uh, this group was the shepherds who were out in the fields. Uh, Luke famously says it in this way. He says in the same region where Jesus was born, there were some shepherds who were staying out in the fields and they were keeping watch over their flock at night. And in church world, there's actually kind of some debate about the role of shepherds in the community. Because if you read through the Old Testament and some of the like fathers of ancient Israel and fathers of the faith, many of them were shepherds by profession. And so in ancient Israel, there's this uh, concept that like shepherding was a noble profession. It it was an incredible thing. It was what their people did. In fact, uh, the psalmist writes at one time that the Lord is my shepherd. So at that time of that writing, like, they were willing to even associate God with this profession of being a shepherd. But by the time we get to Jesus' day, by the time we get to this moment where these shepherds are on the hillside, shepherds had moved from hero to zero in that culture. Uh, in fact, shepherds were viewed with an incredible amount of suspicion because while uh, God's people had essentially settled down into towns and, and started to build societies, shepherds lived on the outskirts. They lived with their sheep. And they roamed around as their sheep roamed around. And so shepherds in that day had this reputation for being dishonest and thieving because they were always on the move. And it was like they would just show up and they might take stuff from you and then run off to their fields with their sheep. And not only were they kind of viewed with a lens of suspicion, but 
for a, a man, particularly to end up as a shepherd, what it meant is that they were essentially a religion school dropout. Because the preferred profession for people in that day was for them to go through school and become a rabbi, a teacher of the law. It was one of the most highly esteemed roles, but every little boy went through the same rounds of schooling, and only the best of the best made it to actually become religious leaders. And so for many of these people, for them to become shepherds, what it means is they were not the best of the best. It means that they had tried to go through the process and likely failed, and they were Torah school dropouts, and they ended up <laughs> out in the fields with the animals. So, so it wasn't this remarkable, revered profession, and yet, once again, these are the people that God unexpectedly announces good news of great joy to. These are the people that God deliberately chooses to send the angels to, to announce that something incredible had happened in the world. And do you know why? It is because God constantly uses the people that we want to ignore to reveal his ways to us. God constantly uses the people that we want to overlook to show us what he's really like. God is bad at PR on purpose. Okay, like, like God... God didn't show up that Christmas with all the holly jolly marketing campaign that we have right now. It was this lowly, dramatic, family tension-filled thing. And then like the riffraff show up to celebrate. Like the story, it wasn't even that remarkable in its day. It was this odd thing that happened in the middle of nowhere in some respects. But God doesn't need big and shiny. In fact, God doesn't want big and shiny, I don't think. Sometimes I wrestle with this, even in light of what we do, because, like, that's shiny, right? Like, we've got screens, we've got lights, I've got a microphone, I've got a stage. But I think when God really wants to show up in our life, uh, don't get me wrong, I think he uses all this or we wouldn't be here doing this. But I think when God really wants to get our attention, he doesn't show up through big and shiny. He shows up through the things that are going to humble us. Because what God wants for us is not just information and not just for us to get excited. He wants transformation, of our hearts. And often, transformation happens when we're willing to humble ourselves enough to see God everywhere, to see God anywhere, to even see God in the face of those people, right? The ones that you want to write off, the ones that you don't think are included in the story. We find God in the unknowing of our assumptions. We often find God, and maybe this season, you should find God in the surprise of maybe who's invited in, or of how he can show up in the midst of whatever you're carrying. And here's what I want you to get overall. Here's kind of the point of today. As we look at these unexpected moments after unexpected moment after unexpected moment in the story, what I want you to get is that who we are, who you are in God's eyes, is deeper than where you find yourself in this moment. Who you are is deeper than where you are in this moment. Because think about it with me. There was a time where in the Christmas story, Mary was a nobody 13-year-old girl in Palestine. And Elizabeth was a barren old woman with no hope. And the inn was a logistical nightmare because the government was demanding them to do all this stuff. And the shepherds were religion school dropouts that nobody was going to care about, that everybody was suspicion of, suspicious of. And then God showed up. And then God showed up in the midst of all of that. And he changed the story. But he was only able to change the story because the people were willing to receive it. They were willing to humble themselves enough to imagine 
that God may even want to show up in an unexpected place. See, it requires humility of us to really allow ourselves to be transformed by God in the unexpected ways that he may be moving. So here's the invitation this season. If you're going through something exceptional and you feel lonely in the midst of it, may you find the gift of solidarity with someone else who's been there before. Or if you've been there before, may you give the gift of solidarity to somebody who needs it. And may you make room in the midst of your circumstances just like that messy family did. I mean, it was the bottom room and it was with the animals, but God used whatever room they gave to show up. May you make room for God in the midst of whatever circumstance you're carrying, and may you have the eyes to see the unexpected place where God may be moving, the unexpected people God may want to move through this season. Let me pray for you. God, we often want to assume, we often think you want us to have it all figured out. But the Christmas story and and probably all of our experience of faith shows us that that's not really true, that you never demand that of us. You never demand certainty or clarity around our circumstances, but rather you ask us to make room for you, to have our eyes open for the unexpected way that you may want to show up in our midst. And so God, I pray for my friends here today who have a messy Christmas season ahead of them, whether it's in a big way or a small way, And God, I pray that they would open themselves up to the possibility that you may want to meet them right in the midst of that, that they don't have to have it all together, that they don't have to clean up their act, that they don't have to have a microphone and a stage and lights to be able to encounter you and to be able to speak about you and to be able to be in your presence. God, I pray for the person going through one of those lonely seasons, that you would surround them with people who have been there before, who can show them the way forward, who can at least show that they're not alone. God, I pray for people who don't know where you are this season, that you would make room in the midst of their circumstance, that you would show up. And God, I pray for all of us, that we would have our eyes open for where you are on the move, even if it's in the most unexpected places or through the most unexpected people. God, help us to stay open to you and to be humble enough to receive you this season as we move forward together. We pray and we ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.